You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 374. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, to discuss the seventh episode of NBC Peacock's adaptation of the classic Aldous Huxley novel, Brave New World. Ah, how you doing, man? Uh, second week of school, and things starting to fall into place, I assume? Yeah, we're starting to get into a, a little bit of a rhythm. Um, so, yeah, I think... I, I was telling you before, you had a, a girl today who um, inexplicably uh, had her camera on, and she started off class obviously lying down in bed with her device in front of her and the camera on, and then she proceeded to fall asleep, and pretty much we got to sit there and watch her sleep through the whole class. Dude, that is just so classic. And <laughs> uh, You know, like we were saying, it's too bad you don't have some sort of a system where you can just send this shrill, loud yeah. sound just yeah. to her. Right, right, right. But, uh, well. No, I mean, it's just bad news from the start. I'm like, this... Oh, she's lying down. Like class days start, she's lying down. It's this isn't this isn't going to be good. Yeah. So, so. Um, well, listen. It's been a while since we thanked our Patreon patrons: Rami, Karen from Colorado, Fred from the Netherlands, Dan, Richard, Travis, Mark, Cindy, Dan, and Mike. So, thank you guys. And you know, if you're interested in becoming a Patreon, you can go to the website sci-fi tv rewatch.podbean.com and there's a link over to the right side all right uh what we're watching this week yeah i was saying to you that uh season two of the netflix series atia the gift it's, it's a turkish series and actually it's called atia and i guess for us americans they had to rename it the gift but sure it makes sense within the context of the show and it's this Turkish supernatural fantasy sci-fi show that follows the quest of this artist who's been painting this design virtually her whole life and you know she's she makes a living selling her artwork so she's fairly well known and one day she sees a tv news item about the dig at Gobekli Tepe which is a real archaeological site Yep, sure is. And she sees her design on one of the cave walls that has just been opened for the first time in 16,000 years. So, well, tell that to a copyright lawyer lady. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> it's really about them exploring this ancient site and, and all of the mysteries that go along with it. The other show, though, that I finally got around to watching is something that you recommended probably over a year ago and that is tabula rosa on oh Netflix. nice and for whatever reason i thought it was a polish series well it's not nah, it's it, belgian yeah, right? yeah it's belgian but i believe they're talking in flemish not i, I think so not yeah. that it matters i always love it where you know we'll be watching it and and we always watch those shows in the original language and i'll get up and go get something and my wife's like wait you're gonna miss it i'm like i can still hear it it takes her always a split second. <laughs> but uh, nice. yeah, great psychological thriller. I, I will say they could have sped up the pace a little bit. It, it didn't really need eight episodes to tell that story. But as it was, really, really good. So many twists and turns, most of which I mm-hmm. did not see coming. So yeah. yeah, I can't remember anything about it, but I remember I enjoyed Tabula Rasa a lot. Yeah. That was a good one. So what do you got for us this week? Well, I have 
another foreign language show called La Casa de Papel, which in English they call Money Heist, which is the you know, the one is the House of Paper. I can see why they didn't call it the House of Paper. That's not really going to draw your average American no. watch watcher in. Money Heist, on the other hand, definitely does. And this show is awesome. It's so cool. Basically, I am – so there's four – they don't call them seasons. They call them parts. And right now there's four parts, and they are apparently right now filming the fifth part. So I think I am like four or five in to part two. And basically it starts off with a, uh, a group of bank robbers. Well, they're not bank robbers. I'm sorry. They have um, – taken over the Spain's national mint. So, and they've taken all these hostages. So like there's the workers there. There's a, a, a class of kids that were there for a field trip and they've taken all these people hostages and that way. They're keeping the police at bay as they print off euros. Uh, and they just, they have the, the, the machines running all the time, printing money, money, money all the time. Um, it actually starts off with the, this guy, the professor, with his group, and of course, each person in the group has a different specialty, right? And he brings them together the first time and basically is like, yeah, you're going to be here for the next five months. So, you know, they spent five months training and planning for it, but they don't really, they don't show that then. You know, we get, as the, the show progresses, they flash back to some moments during the five months of, of their training and planning but really, it just basically jumps right. Like in episode one, they have already taken over the mint and have established themselves as as uh, you know kidnappers or hostage takers or whatever. Um, so it's really cool. There's a lot of twists and turns. Some you see coming, some not so much. It reminds me of Twenty Four a lot uh, in that way. Has because it's, it's a, like like I said, I'm into you know a couple episodes in the second part. And they're still in the bank. The way my mind was thinking, I'm saying, okay, probably at the end of this season or this part, they'll leave the bank, and then the next part will be them on the run and everything. And then, but right now they're still in the bank. Or, I'm sorry, the mint. Uh, you know, it's really cool. the The characters are ex very, very um, like you know, great characters. Um, especially the the main character is this girl Tokyo who she's the, the narrator. Ugh, yes, it has voiceovers quite a bit, but it's okay. So she's like probably the most compelling character in there, but all the other, and all the, the characters in the heist, um, are, are they na are named after cities. They don't know each other's real names. So you got like Berlin, uh, Dallas, Helsinki, Oslo, Denver, Nairobi, uh, Rio, and Tokyo, I think is eight of them. Yep, eight. and then the the lead, the guy, the professor, isn't even in the the mint. He is like kind of dealing with the police. He's talking to the police, and then you know, then the other main character is the the chief hostage negotiator for the police. This woman, that you know, like she and the professor kind of like are sparring with one interact interact with one. So anyway, it's a really really cool show. No genre element to it at all except for they wear these salvador dolly masks that are extremely freaky uh but other than that super cool show uh well shot out great acting 
cinematography is top shelf. The, the use of color, awesome and amazing. Cool. It's really good. Highly recommend it. Cool. Yeah, I mean, good heist movies are, are just so much fun. And here it's an entire series. But it, it's so easy for these heist movies to just fall into one trope after another. Hopefully they don't do that with, with yeah. this. Sounds like they don't. Uh, no, what, they, they, they're pretty trope free. Cool. What, what country is it? Did you say? From Spain. Spain. Okay. Right. Yeah, so do you, do you watch it in Spanish? Uh, so I've been watching it in English, but last night I'm just like, you know what? I'll try in Spanish, you know. Um, and obviously it's so much better watching it in the language. And, um, but I just get so lazy. I don't want to read like, especially at night, I'm just trying to kick back and relax and, and I don't want to do more reading because basically as a teacher, I just read all day, but it was cool uh, watching it. I watched one episode in the actual Spanish. It was cool. cool. There is one thing like, cause, and this is obviously a, a commonality of, of uh, heist movies is that you sympathize with the bad guys, quote unquote, right? The criminals are the people we sympathize with. and But in this case, even take the next step, because there's this one guy who's a hostage, this guy Arturo, and I hate him. And really when I think about it, I mean, he is kind of a, a jerk all around, but he's just trying to escape. And normally, if this movie were told from the perspective of the captives, well, of course, the guy who's trying to escape is going to be a hero. But in this case... He's an asshole, you know, and oh, I hate him. I hate him yeah. so much. He's like the worst character in in the thing. And when I but when I step back to think about, it, I'm like, God, he's just trying to escape. And and the police, they're they're trying to just save lives. But I, I don't I don't want them to succeed. I want the bad guys to succeed. You know. I know. I know exactly what you mean. So, all right, uh, it's almost like Breaking Bad. You know. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You know. You you realize that the person I'm rooting for, who I want to succeed by killing people and stuff like he's doing like these really terrible things, but I can't help it. I, I want him to win out. All right, well, let's move on to brave new world episode seven, season one monogamy and futility part one written by Coleman Herbert, who wrote several episodes of the killing, which was a procedural show that I really enjoyed. Also a show called rectify, which is, I've, I've heard so many good things about it, and my wife and I have come close a couple of times of starting that. Uh, directed by Andre Parikh, who directed one episode of Watchmen. I'm not sure which one. That's another show I haven't finished yet. But, Dude, oh my God. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> Jeez. All right. Um, a couple of thoughts before we get into the, you know, the actual story for episode seven. You know, is Lenina predisposed toward monogamy? I mean, we understand why John has those feelings, but when we think back to the beginning of the series and her relationship with Henry Foster and now with John, you know, is it a flaw in her programming? Right. And there was even this goes to the novel where the, the character in the novel was similarly was um you know castigated for being too monogamous with Henry Foster, right? And yeah. I think her going away with Bernard to the Savage Lands was because this was like I have to do this in order to prove that I'm not, you know, too monogamous and, and to get out there and be with other people. So in that way, yeah. I mean I think the the 
suggestion that is the the show is making that really Huxley didn't so much make is that there's these elements of human nature that you can't program out. Right. Right. Not not for everyone. You know, and, and you've mentioned about Lenina before, you know, her character in the novel is nowhere near as thoughtful as no. Lenina in the series. She's not at all. She's completely vacuous. Yes. And I, I certainly like what they have done to to change that and and update it and you know some people might cry foul but you know it is what it is well yeah um, well if, if you see it as like we said before it's two different things right the novel is that's that thing now this is a show it has the same name it has some similar names of characters are similar but really it's a completely different work you know right. it's so like i said we just had to get over the comparison between the novel and the show because they're really just they're so completely separate as works of art that we just have to consider each one in isolation and only like compare them to say well curiously enough here's what you know like curiously yeah. enough there are some elements of the lenina from the novel that they pull over in this tendency towards monogamy is one of them but as you also said the lenina in the show is way more developed of a character way rounder um has you know more of a human character than than the character in in the novel yeah you know the other thing i find so fascinating in the show is her relationship with bernard and and this episode in particular gets me to wonder is her relationship with him typical of new london in other words an alpha plus male a beta plus female who are basically in the friend zone, you know? Right. I mean, I mean, it, it seemed as if they were going to have sex when they were in the savage lands. And, and that could have been explained, I guess, any of a number of ways, but now, you know, he, he tries to push the envelope a little bit and, and it's clear she wants to, no part of it and to his credit he he recognizes that and just tells her to get out well and, finally yeah i understand it, yeah. but it was it was really you know co- kind of compelling to watch how far he was willing to take it mm-hmm. being the alpha plus and in control and you know her doing what's expected of her and she was willing to do it and, and i guess you know as she starts you know having trouble with the zipper which he of, of course recognizes as stalling for time mm-hmm. but i mean you wonder I mean, is this typical you know do other alpha plus males have women that are just friends i find that hard to believe no, yeah but, i don't i don't think so at all no yeah yeah you know the other thing we'll talk more about it i guess when we get to it that scene with John and Helm at the very end, is he asking her to help him lose his emotions and well, his feelings? I mean, she, she tells him that they can't, right? She tells him that they can't remove his feelings from him, but she can tap into that. Like, of course, obviously she wants to tap into those emotions and use them for her feelings. But, I mean, she tells him, like, it, it doesn't work like that. I can't, you know, it's not like glorious eternal sunshine of, of, of the eternal 
Oh, right. Eternal Sunshine. What was it? Eternal yeah. Sunshine of the something mind. spotless mind. I can't Maybe. remember, but I know. But anyway, I know you, you know where the, the whole premise is that these people go in, they remove all the memories you don't want to remember anymore, right? Right, all their traumas. Uh, right, exactly. But um, but I mean, it, is that what he's asking? I, I know, like you said, she says that's not really in her wheelhouse to be able to do. But is that what he's asking? That that this realization has hit him that she's going to be who she is i don't like it so what is it like take those feelings away from me and then i'll be able to resume my relationship with her and not feel jealousy i yeah, mean I, I i don't know yeah i don't know I, th- I think maybe to some degree he wants to just feel like everybody else like this is it's killing him yeah, with Lenina, right? Is absolutely tearing him apart. But he realizes it's not her fault. So he, to his credit, he doesn't act like an asshole and be like, "Well, how come you're with all these other guys?" Yeah, you know I mean, like he he does kind of say that, but he understands that that that's not just how she is, but what she's expected to do. And if she doesn't act like that, then she could be severely punished. Yeah. So yeah. he gets that. But it kills him. You know, it's just tearing him up. So I think to some degree, he wants to just be able to be like everybody else and just deal with this and not have these emotions that he doesn't really want. Like he doesn't want to feel jealous, right? Right. But he does and he can't help it. Right. And, and I mean, taking the soma is one thing, which obviously we've seen him begin to do, but he doesn't have the conditioning that they all have. Right. So it's really difficult for him to lose those emotions that they've had essentially conditioned out of them. So um, why don't we start with Mustafa Mond and Indra's plan, and we get that great scene when she goes into that old lab, and we Mm -hmm. now know that Indra stands for Integrated Neural Driven Random Architecture. And you know, one of the things for me that I take away – is the question about whether or not Indra can tell the difference between reality and a simulation. And you would think as this high functioning computer network, it should be able to, but I wonder. Well, I I think she just, yeah. Like, yeah, she, she makes no, there's no difference between two. I believe she says that, you know, I think Mon says something like, you know, this isn't, a um you know this is a simulation this is real and she's just like i don't understand what that means for her as we said like people are just yes they're real people real living people not computer programs but to her there there's no real difference yeah and that's a pretty frightening prospect and again how can you not think about skynet that the computer network that essentially is responsible for running your entire civilization, at least on this side of the Atlantic, can't tell the difference between what's real and what's a simulation. That doesn't seem to bode well for New London and the outer regions, you know? Well, 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 right. It's just, it's pure science, right? It's just like Indra is just based on science. There's no emotion to to mess with her programming or, or how she 
um, you know, runs things, I guess. So yeah. when she says, I've come up with the best way for you to be happy, you know, that could mean come at the cost of the thousands and thousands of lives. But for Indra, in the end, it's all good because it ends up with what she's been programmed to do is find a state where humans are happy and they don't want things that they don't, they shouldn't want. Right. And apparently Indra uses the game of go as a means of determining what these optimal situations for humans are going to be. And tells mon that she's finally found the answer and, and and of course mon maybe horrified is a little too strong a, a description but when she realizes that it's actually what's called the suicide move right as the state at which you humans are happy it, it seems to catch mon a bit off guard and you know my wife who, who's been watching this with me suicide move and i i, I took it like a chess game, you know, where they've mm-hmm. got all, you know, the Brandenburg opening or whatever. And that the suicide move, I assume is some sort of a move. If you, you know, uh, use chess as an example where you, you basically sacrifice your queen as some, you know, bizarre way of winning the, the game, but but whatever it is, like it that. doesn't sound good. No, not at all. And, and you, you, alluded a few minutes ago that does this mean that hundreds thousands maybe even tens of thousands of humans are going to have to be sacrificed by indra for the good of the social body i mean seems like we're maybe heading in that direction but i think so sure i mean certainly by mon's reaction to it right you know this building that all of this takes place has soma pharmaceuticals on the exterior and it I was a little surprised that when she goes into this lab, which, you know, appears abandoned, that some computers are still running. There's, uh, you know, a big flat screen on the wall that seems to be running some sort of a promotional message. Right. And, and so this far in the future, and they still have, you know, cheesy commercials. I uh, know. And, you know, the Indra avatar finally gets Mon's attention by calling her mother. And, and, and of course, immediately we recognize that okay mon must have been part of the creative team that built indra and and certainly we see that photograph of the 10 it's almost leading up to a point where mon is she going to get in a position where she's got to decide whether to shut indra down or not and Although it'd be great if it was John's decision to shut Indra down, but <laughs> but you get a, real, a feeling that that well, either the consequences of that would be horrific, or that she can't. You know? who, who, what do you mean? Who, who can't? that Mon can't? She can't shut Indra down either because she physically is completely unable. It's a, a, a self perpetuating program that has no kill switch, or she can't shut Indra down because the consequences of, of shutting Indra down would be uh, horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Catastrophic. And yeah, that's uh, a better word. And, and obviously we, we know that Mond seems to be physically breaking down. We don't know exactly what the deal is with her because people don't seem to age at a normal rate in new London. 
but she is older. Yeah, well, she is older, and yeah. and it's it's not that people don't age because, of course, they do. Sure, but there's clearly something wrong with her. So you know that that'll be interesting. Uh, well, the, the, the we one, I, I, I just if I can interject for a second, because when she's down in the tunnel, did you see the Lethal Weapon movies? Uh, the first one. Okay, so you know Detective Murtaugh, Danny Glover's character, his like catchphrase is, "I'm too old for this shit." Yeah, right. And she gets up and she says that line. I'm like, "Yes." I'm like, "Wait, has Mon seen Lethal Weapon?" I love it, and I heard her say that, and I remember that, but I didn't make the Lethal Weapon connection. Yeah, but I love that nice catch. I know. So maybe um, she saw that movie. Maybe she's that old, or, or maybe it's that not. It's not that far into the future. Or she's got a secret cache of old classic movies. Uh, on, on VHS, I like the, to think. Or even because she's got old Betamax. Well, they're so office. far in the future, you know, even DVDs would be uh, true. pretty old technology. As but, they are now. Right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we hear mention of a disruptor, the virus, and we assume that's referring to john and and certainly he's doing his best to uh to disrupt things as he's there oh is he ever holy cow yeah um well you know you know why don't we talk about that because um it doesn't occupy that much of the episode but you know it's like the revolution is beginning john's sitting on the bench in a park as epsilon's work and Jack 60 recognizes him as the man who punched an alpha. It's funny because we've seen John and, and the effect he has on alphas and betas, that he's this big celebrity. But it was really fascinating to, to hear one of the Epsilons say that. But when he talks to John, the first thing he asks him about is that tattoo of a frowning face and tells him he feels the same way. And we've seen John before whether it's with Gary or, you know, any of a number of other lower caste citizens, he he sees them all as human beings, you know, worthy of my respect. And, you know, he does the same here, but, but clearly he's sowing the seeds of discontent within the Epsilon community. And in the cafeteria, when he smashes that glass and then C Jack smashes it and then the others follow. And it was just so cool because John, you know, he wants to turn around and look, mm-hmm. but he doesn't. It, it's just classic. You know, we've seen it in movies so many times. The hero just walks away and all hell's breaking loose behind him or her. So, yeah, not sure where this is going, but. Well, well yeah, and we've talked about before how this is, you know, and again, like I haven't really brought the novel much, but this directly correlates with a scene in the novel that is almost serial comic that John gets up and delivers this passionate speech about freedom and, and individuality. And the Epsilon say, can, can you please leave? <laughs> like he makes them uncomfortable and they want him to leave. But obviously here, his speech, his actions has the absolute, the, the completely opposite effect on these Epsilons um, where they take it to heart. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, it's like the one where we love what we do. No, you don't. Yeah. You think you do, and and yeah, like you said, it was it was just such an impassioned speech, and I love 
the way they write this series that look he he could have gone on and on but they really kept it tightly drawn and and i think just think the impact is so much more having done it that way um but in terms of also feeling discontent bernard is is this character that it's almost like he's caught in this wave that he has no control over and and clearly he's trying to regain his standing and when the arch songster invites john and by extension bernard to his little hide and seek party (laughs) you know it's it's really a big deal and of course when john hears about it he's like dude i told you no more parties yeah did you see what changed his mind um, I don't... He, he he's like telling Bernard no effing way, and then you look over at Gary and Gary's like, oh yeah yeah yeah. He, he just <laughs> makes a little head nod. Yeah, like dude, you need to do this for. But Bernard. when Gary hears that he's been invited, his face lights up like holy shit. Yeah, but but I think here he understands that this is something John needs to do for John's benefit even though it won't seem like he's doing it for his benefit. I'm not so sure. I think really? both Gary and Bernard Bernard, uh, oh, okay. see this as, you know, I think Gary sees it. This is a, a huge honor. Like this well, is okay. one of the greatest honors you can have. You absolutely must go. I, I don't think he's seeing it like from John's, from John's perspective, because clearly from John's perspective is a terrible idea for him to go. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it does give him another chance to, you know, get up on his soapbox and really get it out to Bernard that don't you people get it that all of your recreational activities all end the same way? Yeah. They're just a different way right. of getting from point B to point, from getting from point A to point B to the orgy at the end. Right. And Bernard's like, what do you mean? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's like, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, again, I, I think one of the things this episode really gives John a chance to do is take a stand or at least the first step towards taking a stand. I mean, so far it doesn't seem to be going very well for him and, and Again, you, I mean, it's it's probably uh, a good place to talk about, you know, Lenina's date with Bernard and, and then that conversation she later has with John because as she tells him, you don't understand. I have to do this. No, you don't. No, I do. And she even mentions banishing, reprogramming. And when she talks about the banishing, basically you never hear from these people again. Right. So what it is they're doing, do they have some island out, uh, you know, are they sending them to Scotland or, Uh, you know, they have a crematorium right there. Well, you know, they mentioned it in the first, I think the first, maybe the second episode, but still that that's a possibility. Yeah. But that, that whole date, with Lenina, just the way she plays it as a character is just so fantastic. She's so uncomfortable right from the start. And so are we. And and so are we. And 
we wonder, does Bernard sense what we sense? I don't know. I don't I, know if he does. I, I think he does because he. I mean, he he is exhibiting some. Cla- I mean, I know this world doesn't have the term sexual harassment, you know, but we do, and we're the ones watching it. And this is awful. Like what he's doing is just he is in a, you know, a superior position to her. He has power over her, and he is not just coercing her into sex, but basically forcing. Now, we can say, okay, that in this world that sex at the end of an encounter is probably a foregone conclusion, but that's not what they have, right? And they both know that, right? They they both understand that they are different than other people and they think and feel different things, than other people do his anger and frustration with her at the end of the night i think is evidence enough that you know he was trying to make this happen well you remember what what john said right john said that the the what what makes a date so awesome is that each person chooses the other and you celebrate the fact that you've chosen each other when it comes down to it though Lenina does not choose him. He chooses her. He says he chooses her. She does not choose him. So the date does not happen as it should have. Well, right. And you're both trying to convince the other that at the end of the evening, you're sponge worthy. Right. Nice. Well played. <laughs> okay. For those of you, I'm not even going to tell you where that's from. You can go yeah. Google it yourselves. Right. Go, look it, go look it up and then, right. and then watch it because it's but, hilarious. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, they both know where this evening is supposed to end. And then when he says, well, I guess you better get undressed. Oh, it's just so, uh, yeah. it, it, it's just such a, a sick feeling in your stomach as you watch that. Yeah. And, and, and like we said a few minutes ago, he finally just tells her to leave, but it, it doesn't do a whole lot for his ego, but it makes me wonder whether he does this on purpose. In other words, did he initiate this date as a, a means to exert little, a power play? Little F you to John, maybe? Over John, exactly. Well, I, I think so, because she is humming, and it's about time yes. we finally mention Perfect Day by Lou Reed, an absolutely incredible song, one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Yeah. Amazing song. And she's humming it, and he's like, well, where'd you hear that? Now, he's also heard the song because he was listening to John's quote-unquote Walkman. Right. Right? Um, and she says, oh, I don't know. I just heard someone. But he knows this bullshit. So all of a sudden, he realizes where John's been, where she's been, because he called her into his office to reprimand her for, well, not necessarily reprimand her. He actually is... is telling her that she's doing a good job of you know getting back into the swing of things but he does mention well there's some odd private hours here and there right we can overlook them right exactly um and now we know what he now he knows what those private hours are so yes you are i think 100 percent right there dave that his quote-unquote date with lanina is a big screw you to john 
Yeah. And and that is, of course, I guess the, the bulk of this episode, the relationship of John and Lenina. And, and we get that cold open. At, I wasn't sure at first, but I think they're at her place. And they're still telling that story that they've been weaving as they are together and, and in bed. Yeah, worst um, sexual fantasy ever. Well, yeah, I I, know, I go but, hunting and you're waiting but, but, for me. Whoa. But, but I guess the con- <laughs> for me, the contrast between the society in which they live, in, in which everything is provided, you know, the, this sterile environment, and they're going back to hunter-gatherer days and you know going out and taking my wooden spear and and trying to get a fish and my bow and arrow that I've crafted with my own hands and and things like that but but obviously the the big part of this sequence is when they tell each other that I love you mm-hmm. and it's just so uh, wonderful to watch her reaction because as she admits it's a foreign concept to her yeah, did exactly. I did I say it right Right. Well, right. Does she, does she fully understand what that means? I'm not so sure she does. Yeah. I mean, it's not part of their culture, just as jealousy is not part of their culture. So as you say, does she understand it? I guess I would argue that not fully, not to the sense that John does, but then again, he was raised to understand what love is, despite Linda's shortcomings and of course there were many but i feel like lenina's starting to kind of get the hang of it Mm -hmm. giving him his walkman i mean that's an act of somebody that that cares for somebody is it love well maybe not but it's 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 a step in that direction sure well it comes back to what we said that you know these basic elements of human nature that you can't you can't scrub out, right? Right. That there's certain things like the desire to be with one person and just one person, you know, as much as, as you know, some people say like, well, that's just something that's been dictated by religion and culture and everything. Well, yeah, maybe. But for some people, that might be an, an actual, you know, yearning as much as for other people – the desire to be with as many different people as possible is a a a, a thing, right? It's so it's just kind of like the which boils down to just basically that humans are so complex that you can't program them. They are they're unprogrammable. There's always going to be outliers. There's always going to be people who don't respond to the programming, right? And and you know the the other thing that. I guess confused me a little bit about this whole scene. Again, I thought they were at her place, but then we see right after she gives him his Walkman, it looks like she takes her optic out and hands it to Gary before walking out into the rain, which of course is not the most subtle image of rebirth that we're ever going to see in (laughs) in TV. Actually, I really, I I loved like all the different colors with the, umbrellas and everything i really like that scene i thought it was a beautifully shot scene yeah the you know the muted pastel colors it's just really uh, from a visual standpoint it's something we're not really used to seeing but i did notice occasionally there'd be like one person who 
I wouldn't say it was a bright color, but it was a little more saturated, a little richer. Not many. Like if you saw 20 people, there'd only be one that was wearing this color. And it gets you to thinking, all right, is there something about that person that that's a color they've chosen? But we get to the party and clearly John's unimpressed. And dude, I don't know about you, but when he is face-to-face with the Arch Songster, I got the feeling he was doing everything in his control to not just decking the dude. Yeah, he's like, I really just it, it want to slap this guy so badly. But Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, and yeah. Boy, even more full of himself than Helm. And then, of course, Helm shows up. And well, because, just, you know, Helm has, like at least some sense of groundedness, right? Yes. Helm is, yes, she has these, oh my goodness, my my world is exploding, give me some more summer, but but she really does have like a realistic grounding in the world and understanding of human beings. Uh, We don't see any of that in the Arch Songster at all. And Fred will mention that, you know, his, you know, the Arch Songster is basically, well, you've heard of me, and John's like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's that is awesome. Like just to bring this guy down a peg, but this guy can't be brought down a peg. He just soldiers on, like whatever. Yeah, I know you've heard of me, dude. Don't worry about it. Right, yeah. but just you know the things you just said about Helm, I think are so important to come out at this point in John's experience in New London because it's something he needs. And look, we know she's sexually attracted to him. Okay, take your clothes off. And she goes over, she's going to start doing it. He's like, no, I I can do it. (laughs) But in the next breath, she's telling him, you're a man, not some plaything to be passed around at parties. And that's exactly what he's been trying to tell people. And she recognizes that and and reinforces the idea that it's okay to think that. You should think that. And – look maybe we end up at one of her feelies and she turns out to be a hypocrite i just don't think so you know I, I no think, no you know i mean he's from a monogamous world he wants that with lenina uh, he sees the flaws in their society and whether or not helm sees those flaws i think she kind of does you know yeah i think she kind of does too and, and which again kind of then aligns with the relationship between John the Savage and Helmholtz Watson in the novel where Helmholtz, they they don't quite see eye to eye and and Helmholtz can never really truly see the world as John sees it, but he is fascinated by it. And he does understand that the the world that they live in has its shortcomings and that it's really not his quote-unquote cup of tea so i I think that is consistent there i I like how they did that how there is this relationship between helen watson and john where they can talk to each other and speak like truthfully to one another which is he can't do that with bernard anymore before bernard was his best friend quote-unquote in in this world but uh but that's not the case anymore because bernard enjoys the celebrity that comes with with being john's friend too much um but helm he can talk to and kind of get the straight dope yeah and you wonder whether it's the dichotomy of her world that 
causes her to use and abuse drugs as as a means of just simply coping with it. And obviously she's able to do her work such as it is. But, you know, clearly this is somebody that's got some emotional pain of her own that she's coping with. The scenes in which John is out in the woods and he eventually sees Lenina having sex with this nondescript alpha who, as she later tells him, I don't know who he was. uh, (laughs) But the way it was filmed where we see him in the shower, you know, almost trying to, you know, just forget what he's seen by washing it away. And then she's in the shower and he's trying to wash away the mud or the dirt or whatever that. Well, she like makeup on. Yeah, whatever. But it was really presented I, I i think it was confusing to the viewer as it's confusing to john not that he's confused by his feelings i think he's confused about what to do about them because he's not dumb he understands why she's doing what she's doing but as he says i just don't like it i don't want you doing it anymore right and and, and, and there's as you said the confusion the pain that he experiences is because you know, as we said before, he he doesn't he 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 doesn't like that Lenina is with other people, but he also understands that she has to be. Yeah, well, I, you know, I I think that's what comes out of the scene is she's trying to get that across to him that you do need to understand. I mean, if we get caught, we'll be on display a savage and his beta monogamist, and you know, the first thing that I thought about well does she mean that literally almost like animals in a zoo right you know maybe not literally like animals in a zoo but i you know like up on their flat screen tvs for people to see i i think they would certainly make a display of what it is they're doing and what will happen to you if you try something like this because um you know she says reconditioning or banishment and nobody comes back so She's telling him, look, it's either this or nothing. Right, right. And that's pretty extreme. And, and you know, then then it's it's like he can't unsee what he's seen, but he's going to have to. I mean, as we said earlier in the discussion, Helm can't help him there. She can't help him unsee what right. he's already seen. Right. You, you can't, uh, uh, you know, as, you know, Macbeth, right? Macbeth, he... he in his famous, you know, right, right before the uh, his the famous speech at the end, but he asked the doctor if you know, can you remove from the mind's eye a rooted memory? I think you know. So it's this idea of like, can you just you know, pluck out these horrible memories and and just get rid of them? Yeah. But of course, you know, um, you know, the doctor says, you know, you know, nah. He can't, or basically, he's saying there. There, the patient has to uh, be his own doctor or whatever. You know, yeah, you can't. You can't just. And, and, and how many people have thought that? Like, how many people have, think there? There are these things that I remember, things that I regret doing, or things that happened to me that I don't want to remember, and I just wish I could just like the uh, was the pensive that the Dumbledore has in Harry Potter, just kind of pull that memory out. And put it somewhere else so I don't have to think about it unless I want to go think about it. Um, but yeah, it's just not a thing. The last thing I wanted to bring up 
and I don't have an answer, the significance of that tree that he's drawing yeah. in his apartment. That's I mean, weird. Because it's, you know, a really nice drawing, but but it's sawed off. It's like somebody just, you know, took a, God, what do you call those things that you cut trees down with? Uh, a chainsaw? <laughs> chainsaw, thank you. Uh, no, a chainsaw, because it's a clean cut. Right. What's that all about? I, I Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, I looked at it, and it's all, like, I almost took this almost like, like cave drawings yeah true. you know like yeah. it's just kind of crude figures it's not great he's not like super good at drawing but um but it's very dark obviously all right uh anything else you got so there's one thing here and i found this interesting because uh bernard says there's pleasure to be found in anyone it makes no sense to deny yourself to half the population so i guess in the brave new world Sexuality is something that can be programmed, right? Sure. That all the people, like, they will sleep with guys, they'll sleep with girls. They have no preference either way. And, you know, we tend to say that sexuality is innate, right? Something you're either born with or, or maybe through experience kind of comes to you. But, like, for a combination of those, and I think a lot of people would say that sexuality is something you're born with. It's something you can't choose or, or have programmed into you uh but uh apparently the brave new world is no that's a good point i didn't really catch that but uh yeah that makes perfect sense i mean within the context of the story that, that we're watching sure so i think that's about it okay except for just once again to say well i just do want to mention one how the music in this episode well really basically in the entire series uh the use of music has been outstanding uh, but in this episode, the two, I think really just the two songs, uh, I Found a Reason by Cat Power and Perfect Day by Lou Reed. Just brilliant, absolutely brilliant use of the music. Perfect mood for the scenes that they were in. Uh, just amazing. All right. Well, why don't we hear what Fred's got for us? And, and obviously, uh, once we hear his feedback, he's going to talk about some music as well. So here's Fred, and we'll be right back. And you Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Brave New World, Season 1, Episode 7. What you hear in the background now is the song I Found a Reason by Cat Power. And this is a song that plays on John's Walkman just after Lenina gave him that thing back. The episode starts so idyllic that you just know this can't be true for a long time. And it doesn't. Although Lenina also in the beginning was a little bit in monogamous relationships, in that case with Henry, she was fully okay with the rest of the feelies and orgies, etc. But now you see she is really getting into the relationship with John.
To me, it starts feeling a little bit like a hooker that falls in love and gets a boyfriend. On one side, she has the boyfriend, but on the other side, she still has to work. And then there is this arch-sungster encampment. And if you see how it starts with this horn, it really feels like a good old-fashioned English fox hunt. Where I first had the impression it were mainly the beta plus women who were the foxes here. But on second watch I saw that there was also standing an alpha plus woman in this kind of hunter outfit. But still, the majority of them were males. Feels a bit creepy. The same creepiness is what Bernard is trying to do with Lenina. Especially when he gets home with her and he says, Sofa please. Really? And then there is the very touchy scene under the shower where, well, John is not really angry at her and also she doesn't feel good about it. Of course, this could have led to a big jealousy scene, but it doesn't. So it reflects that they really like each other, I think. Drink sangria in the park and then In the background now Perfect Day by Lou Reed, the second very important song in this episode. Just a perfect day. Talking about good old English traditions, that Gary guy, I really like him. He gives me a feeling of an English butler, really liking his job to serve, and having a master that also appreciates his services. few nice moments were how John reacted to the arch songster and that he was not impressed by him. Another one was that the director, Henry, was bragging about his visit to Mustafa Mun's sanctuary. And then Bernard says, oh, I'm very interested if you like her art, proving that he has been there before, Henry. It's such fun. I don't fully get the story of Mustafa Mund with his other nine founders or something like that. And she's going now to a laboratory under New London. I have the impression that if you look at that photograph that one of these ten has the same appearance as Indra. So the projected child of Mustafa Mund. She also calls her, I think, mother. More in the meaning of creator probably. I find this whole Mustafa Moon story a little bit a D story, whereas we only have an A and a B story in this episode, namely John's story and Bernard's story, connected by Lenina. I really wonder what will happen, because Lenina and John say to each other that they would go away, or actually John says it, and Lenina doesn't believe him. So I think at the end of the series, or of this season, John will leave. But the big question is, with or without Lenina? I have the sad expectation that it will be without. You're going to read just what you saw. 
Okay, last topic I want to talk about has nothing to do with Brave New World, but with biohackers. So two podcasts ago, I talked about having seen the premiere and previous podcast, I told you that I saw the first season of six episodes and I liked it a lot. But what is very special is that they stored the first episode of this series into DNA. And you could think, uh, is that possible? Yes, DNA can be a storage for a large amount of data and probably better conserved than on a USB stick or a hard drive or whatever. You have to remember that we still can get DNA out of dead pharaohs or out of Neanderthal people. So I put the link on the Facebook page where you can see a YouTube film about how they did it. I think it's really cool. And I can assure you, it's it's also true. It's also possible. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Um, I think you and Fred like the music a lot better than I did. And, and don't get wow. me wrong. I, I, I like Lou Reed, not everything he's done, but I do like Lou Reed, but, but I mean, I, you know, I, I get it. What, what you're saying about the scenes that are connected to the songs that you mentioned, the one by cat power. And then of course the one by Lou Reed, but, uh, you know, I don't know. The the other thing that comes up in the in the episode with the arch songster, and I think it's uh, Helm that says to John that yeah, he's written nine thousand songs and they all sound the same. <laughs> and okay, and 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 you know, again, you you, you you know, John wants to say, you call this music, right, dude, dude? <laughs> listen to this here. Listen to Lou Reed. That's right. music. And then the arch. Songster would go, okay, Boomer. <laughs> but yes, uh, he would. But uh, you know, and now Fred mentions Gary as an English butler, and and I do love that. I guess that image because it really is pretty spot on when when you think about the relationship that the English butler has with you know the man and the woman of the household for whom he works. And yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. So yeah, yeah I really oh, like and that, that chicken pie looks so good. Oh, oh my, my god, god. dude! <laughs> oh, love it. Yeah, and and then of course we've heard it before when you know John's trying to get. It's usually Bernard. I think you know, let him make you a chicken pie. He lives for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what else yeah. about Fred's feedback? Um, no, it's like you know I. Fred said that the party seemed like a fox hunt. And I thought, well, Fred, actually, I think it's a, a fox hunt. Yes. Really. Exactly. So. And, and he starts it off. And with, there goes our rating for the show. Yeah. My apologies. <laughs> but he starts it off with, uh, you know, the, the kind of uh, fox hunt horn. Blast. Sure. Well, they even had like the houndstooth clothes and everything. Right, like, right, yeah. right. Right. But again, like we said, it's just another excuse to end up at the orgy. And yeah. Okay. That's, you know where this okay. all leads. Let's just yep. get there. But uh, I'm going to go A minus again. I mean, it's really good. I think it's certainly better than a B plus. Sure. Well, I would, you know, I would, maybe would give it a B plus, but the music, I got to give it A minus. Okay. Good. Well, we'll go A minus then. <laughs> so. 
All right. Um, yeah, we're getting to the end. Only two episodes two more to, to go. go and, the- and we have absolutely zero idea what we're going to do after this. So Yeah, well, maybe a, uh, a Patreon recording for right. Fred. We owe Fred one, but I don't think he's decided yet what he wants us to talk about but but yeah after that right like you said we have absolutely zero idea what we're going to do next so get the uh put the old thinking caps on but uh let's go ahead and leave it there and and that'll do it for this episode of sci-fi tv rewatch want to thank you for joining us love to hear what you think about brave new world anything else going on in genre tv and there are a lot of shows coming out these days encourage you to get into the facebook group Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. Emails can go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to discuss episode eight of the NBC Peacock dystopian classic Brave New World titled Monogamy and Futility Part 2. But until then... You know, Dave, now it's you know the fall and uh, despite the pandemic, we actually have some football, which is amazing and the Ravens had an awesome first week and you know this time of year I like just kind of like to sit back and reflect and to really think about the things that are important to me and I've come up with the conclusion that well fucking beer is important to me is that too much to ask <laughs>